The waste from this facility was not, this community has had this waste getting into its property and into their, their drinking water and their environment well before this breach. It's just this breach is just catastrophic. So the, the pictures of it speak volumes, but this is not limited to just this area because of this breach. Um, these piles are just open piles sitting like mountains next to communities. This is Lawyer to Lawyer, the award-winning legal podcast with Robert Ambrogi and J. Craig Williams. East Coast meets West Coast, and yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with leading experts in the legal profession. Lawyer to Lawyer is sponsored by Law.com and produced right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today. Bob Ambrosi, my co-host from Massachusetts, is in an arbitration and not able to be with us, but I'm Craig Williams from sunny Southern California. I write a legal blog called May It Please the Court and have a book out called How to Get Sued. Well, on December 22, 2008, there was a major coal ash spill at the Tennessee Valley Authority's Kingston Fossil Plant, which poured 1.1 billion gallons of toxic material over some 300 acres. The disposal of coal ash has become a huge environmental issue. Burning coal produces more than 129 million tons annually of combustion waste. This coal ash has toxic elements, including arsenic, lead, cadmium, selenium, and mercury. Besides the environmental damage in eastern Tennessee, the toxicity in the coal ash has led people from the Kingston-Harriman area who were affected both physically and emotionally from the spill to reach out for help. And as a consequence, we've seen some litigation, um, or we are about to see some litigation. It hasn't been filed yet, but it seems highly likely. So today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we're going to take a look at the TVA disaster, environmental litigation, and get a first-hand account of the damage and the effect on the surrounding residents. Our first guest today is the leading environmental attorney, Robin Greenwald, head of Weitz and Luxembourg's environmental toxic tort practice. Robin spent over 15 years prosecuting environmental crimes, litigating environmental civil cases in the United States Department of Justice, both in New York and Washington, D.C., where she was Deputy Chief of the U.S. Attorney's Office in Brooklyn and Assistant Chief of Environmental Crimes Section in Washington, D.C. After leaving the Department of Justice, Robin was named General Counsel of the U.S. Department of the Interior Office of the Inspector General from 1999 to 2001. She recently teamed up with Aaron Brockovich, who was a previous guest, and traveled to Tennessee to witness the aftermath of the TVA disaster. She also co-writes a blog with Aaron for the Huffington Post. Welcome to the show, Robin Greenwald. Thank you. And our next guest is attorney Lisa Evans. She's an attorney specializing in hazardous waste law for earth justice. She's been active in hazardous waste litigation and advocacy for over 25 years. She's been a project attorney for earth justice since 2006. She's an expert on coal ash issues and testified before Congress in 2008 and before the National Academies of Science in 2005. Prior to Earth Justice, Ms. Evans worked on toxic coal waste issues for Boston-based nonprofit Clean Air Task Force, and she began her legal career as Assistant Regional Counsel at the Environmental Protection Agency, Region 1. She co-authored the report, Waste Deep, Filling Mines with Coal Ash is Profit for Industry but Poison for People. Welcome to the show, Lisa Evans. Thank you very much. 
I also want to indicate that we've contacted the TVA, the Tennessee Valley Authority. They did not respond to our request to be on the show with us today. According to the TVA website, though, TVA has organized five community outreach teams made up of plant employees and retirees to reach out to homeowners in the affected areas. Each team visits 10 to 15 homeowners each day, and they, along with other outreach team members, continue to attend meetings with homeowners and community groups to answer their questions and listen to their concerns. Uh, let's turn to Robin and Lisa, since we can't get the TVA people with us, and uh, give us some background on the TVA disaster. Um, the TVA disaster is really one that the photographs don't do it justice until you actually see it in person. And I went there with Aaron, um, I guess it was about two weeks ago now, and um, it is devastation as far and wide as the eyes can see. It took an entire body of water and displaced the water, and it is now what used to be a lake is now um, just, what you, as you said, one billion gallons of toxic sludge. Um, so there's the, the physical image of this disaster where it was once a beautiful um, lake with beautiful sunsets that people still have photographs of in their homes. But I think what's, what is not captured as much, perhaps, is the impact it's had on people who live near and around there. They're the people who actually now have sludge in their yard instead of um, grass, and some obviously in their homes themselves. But there are people all around the community as far as 20 miles away that are seeing the um, the plumes of sludge going down river or seeing it on their property or seeing it uh, stirred up by trucks that are trying to clean up the site, and they're very, very nervous and scared about their health, their children's health, their pets' health, the elderly, what it means today and what it means in the future. I mean, this is a community that's only been dealing with this for a month now, so it's still very fresh, and they're looking for a lot of answers, a lot of which they have not received as of yet. Lisa, how does a disaster like this happen? Well, I think it's years of the failure of the federal government to regulate the waste. Um, How I see this issue is... um, I, I haven't had the opportunity to go down to Tennessee, um, and I uh, understand that the, the circumstances are tragic. But what, if, what really um, comes to my mind is the fact that we have hundreds of these dump sites across the United States, and this is an issue I've been working on for some time. And what has been allowed to happen is that each year the um, coal-burning power plants generate over 100 million tons of this, and this has been happening for decades. And with no regulations requiring safe disposal or storage, what has happened is you have hundreds of waste dumps like you have in uh, Tennessee um, as tragedies waiting to happen. Um, it's very, very unfortunate that this devastation um, has, has caused the that this devastation happened, but I'm hoping that it also will be, has shined a light on the problem and that now some solutions will be forthcoming uh, because this is, is not the only place um, where this will happen. And uh, secondly, what, what I think people also don't realize is that uh, you have two problems with these waste sites. Um, you have, one, the risk of catastrophic uh, devastation as you had in Tennessee, but an equally troubling uh, occurrence is the leaking of the hazardous chemicals that are in the coal ash, which are stored in these impoundments or these online landfills, and the possibility uh, that these will get into drinking water, will flow into surface water, and we know as well that that is happening at many sites across the United States. 
Well, I'm going to show my age here. When I was a little boy, my grandmother cooked with coal, and we had coal for uh, that was used to heat the house. So I, I remember emptying out the uh, stove and the furnace with uh, a shovel and putting it into a coal ash bin. But at, at that point, it was cinders. We took those and dumped them out in the in the alley behind the house. Is that what this is? Is this the circumstance with all uh, coal-fired plants across the country? How does this work? Well, I think what you have to realize is now we have regulations that require that the toxic chemicals that previously went out the smokestack are now captured. Um, the Clean Air Act has uh, has mandated that those chemicals be captured, the mercury, the hazardous air pollutants, the heavy metals such as arsenic, uh, thallium, beryllium, selenium, those are captured at the stack, put back in the ash. So you have a significantly more toxic uh, waste product than you had 50 years ago. Um, also, just the sheer amount, I mean, I think that even your cinders that you threw in the backyard probably had uh, toxic contaminants in it, but it wasn't enough in volume to to, to cause much problem. So... What, Robin, what is the way that this coal ash is being regulated and, and uh, dealt with right now? How is it being disposed? Where is it being put? Well, as Lisa said, it's not, it's not subject to regulation as a hazardous waste right now. So um, it's in piles, uh, waste piles all around the country. I've, some of the data I've looked at says there's 156 um, similar power plants to the TVA um, power plant that where this disaster occurred. I mean, so some of the listeners know, within three weeks of the TVA spill, there were two other TVA spills. They just didn't get as much press because there wasn't the same volume spilled. But there was another one in Tennessee, another TVA site with the uh, an impoundment um, spilling some, some waste, and there was one in Alabama. So Lisa's right. This is a problem um, all around the country. It's not limited to Tennessee one of one of the things that happens, sadly, um, although I guess the, the positive of a negative is frequently a disaster like this um, reminds people how important it is to have regulation of this kind of waste. You know, I've I've also, I mean, Lisa probably knows more about this than I do because I am new to the coal ash issue. Um, she clearly knows more about the the history of this, but I've read recently that this material is used in this waste is used in pavement. It's used in mulch. And I've even read that it is sometimes used in toothpaste and in uh, cosmetic face masks. Now, uh, so it, it is in desperate need of regulation. It is in desperate need of control and the maintenance of these ponds, the way they're built. Um, there's no question that seeing where this impoundment was vis-a-vis this community when I went there, Lisa's absolutely right. The waste from this facility was not – this community has had this waste getting into its property and into their their drinking water and their environment well before this breach. It's just this breach is just catastrophic. So the the pictures of it speak volumes, but this is not limited to just this area because of this breach. Um, these piles are just open piles sitting like mountains next to communities. According to the EPA, there are some 1,300 coal ash ponds across the nation, and it's contaminated water in 24 states. Lisa, what's going on? Is the government not watching the government? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, the uh, Resource Conservation Recovery Act, which was uh, the act that was meant to prevent these kind of uh, both slow leaking and catastrophic spills, uh, was written to address coal ash. There was an amendment in 1980 which uh, slowed that down, uh, that mandated a study, but it still required that EPA make a determination on how to regulate it. EPA in 2000 made that determination. 
uh, under the Clinton administration, uh, determined that regulations, federal regulations, had to be written, and the last eight years we've seen nothing. Uh, this is, just to show your listener how aberrant this is, is EPA has detailed regulations on how to dispose of household trash, you know, requiring liners at landfills, uh, monitoring of groundwater around the landfills, uh, uh, monitoring for 30 years after the landfill closes. So it is a, a real um, aberrant situation and uh, irrational and extremely dangerous for EPA to have failed to regulate this waste after all these years. At least I don't mean to pick on the, the uh, private organizations, but there are private attorney general rights under these statutes that would allow private litigation to pursue uh, the government and, and force some cleanups of this. How come we haven't seen that? Well, there have been private suits, um, and you see a, a proliferation of um, the private bar getting into this more and more in the public interest groups. Um, there have been uh, litigation in Indiana, uh, litigation recently settled this summer in Montana where there's a $25 million settlement over the contamination of people's drinking water um, in Cold Strip, Montana from an unlined pond. Uh, there's a $57 million settlement uh, against Constellation Energy in Maryland. I know that there's going to be a class action, or I believe there will be, in, in Virginia over um, the uh, quote-unquote beneficial use of coal ash. And, and I think Robin pointed at, at something really uh, interesting is, is this problem is very broad. It's not only failure to dispose of the ash safely at the power plant site, you know, for which there are no federal regulations, but there are also um, a lot of quote unquote beneficial applications that are also pose risk to human health and the environment. Um, some of these include use as fill, you know, filling up a sand and gravel pit, uh, use as unpaved roads, where I've seen that contaminate people's groundwaters, and also uh, mine filling, which is the subject of, of Earth Justice's very recent report, where millions of tons of coal ash are being dumped in mines into groundwater, um, essentially creating toxic landfills at coal mines. So if you can imagine, you know, these coal mining communities who have to deal with the uh, assaults of, of living next to a coal mine and all the environmental problems that can cause, now the idea is to fill these holes up with industrial waste, uh, unmonitored, uh, unlined, and uh, so we're, you know, we're adding insult to injury. And so until there is a, a real focus on the part of EPA um, to right, stringent disposal standards. You know, we have problems in all different pockets of this country. Robin, do you expect some attention from uh, the Obama administration to uh, address this? I hope so. I mean, as I say, I think that this disaster will put a spotlight on the issue. I mean, I can't imagine that it won't put a spotlight on the issue. From what you've seen from being there, isn't the solution to simply pick up the people that are affected by this in the immediate area and move them out to some place where it's safe and they're not exposed to this? I mean, do we need to go through Love Canal again? It is an interesting issue because um, TVA apparently, as I understand it, is defining affected people, and I put that in quotations purposefully, as those people who actually have ash on their property. So in other words, they're city, they, they used to be on a lake, and now they're not anymore. They're on this ash pile. And it is a fiction to think that they are the only individuals who are impacted by this spill. If you're really going to move everybody who's impacted by this spill, you're going to be moving people potentially as far as 20 miles south of the facility and people north as well. The, the plumes tend to be moving south, but the breach when it happened pushed some of the waste north. 
So it's not that simple of a solution. I know TVA, um, I hear that TVA is trying to define it that simply, but it's not. I mean, if you're just talking about the impact on the human eye, it's a much smaller group because obviously thousands of people won't see it from their front yard. But the the health impacts and the environmental impacts of this spill are devastating and incredibly widespread. So um, it's not as simple of a solution as moving those few families that actually owned property on the lake. What type of uh, issues are we going to see with government immunity? I mean, are, are we going to get hit with that defense when these toxic tort lawsuits start? Well, they've, you know, one of the things I wanted to um, mention at the beginning, you said there hadn't been any lawsuits filed yet. There actually have been. Um, there have been about five lawsuits filed by different firms on behalf of different groups of people. There have been a couple of class actions, some non-class actions, um, seeking property damage for for different areas. Um, so there have been some lawsuits. We haven't seen any immunity legislation yet, and I would hope that we won't. I mean, if the Bush administration didn't pass any, I'm hopeful that the current administration will not. It would be a very unfortunate use of that power. Lisa, when when uh, what, what kind of thing, what kind of injuries can we expect from this bill? Um, before I get to that, let me also say, following up on the lawsuits, is that Earth Justice um, is co-counsel on a suit where we filed an intent to sue um, to TVA on uh, federal claims, uh, Clean Water Act, uh, RICRA, Resource um, Conservation Recovery Act, EPCRA, and uh, under Superfund or, or CERCLA. So we do have that in the works. You're in the middle of your 60 days. Uh, yes. Actually, it's uh, under RICRA, it's 90 days. So we have a mixture of, of the 60 and 90-day deadline. The law requires that that, that happen before environmental st- before environmental. Uh, charges can be brought. Yeah, because it gives the opportunity for the government to pick up the lawsuit and prosecute it itself. Now, this is, too, you know, the TVA is a different type of an authority than the actual federal government. Right, yeah. And, but, you know, we're wondering where is EPA? At least I am. Where is EPA on this? Um, you know, what kind of oversight are they giving TVA for this uh, their, this cleanup, which looks very suspect to me? Um, they, you had asked, well, you know, what is the response, or do we expect a congressional response? Um, I'm not sure you mentioned the hearing that happened uh, in early January after the spill, uh, where Barbara Vox's committee, um, uh, Environment and Public Works Committee, had a hearing where uh, Tom Kilgore, the head of TVA, was uh, called up to testify, as well as um, Stephen Smith, the head of the Southern Alliance for Clean Energy, and a, a local emergency responder. And... Uh, Senator Boxer was very um, adamant about uh, fixing this and addressing this early. And then in a follow-up hearing when uh, the confirmation of um, Lisa Jackson at EPA, she also followed this up with uh, asking Lisa Jackson for immediate action on this issue. So there does look like there, there's, there's definite uh, interest in the Senate. Um, I've also heard of some House hearings that might be coming up next month in February. So there's definite in- interest on the part of um, members of Congress to address this issue. Well, the TVA just can't start cleaning it up without a work plan. Have we seen one? I have not seen a work plan, and uh, I, I don't know if one exists. Um, if there is one, it's it's not one that, that has been circulated. I think that's right. I haven't seen one either. I've heard different um, reports of what type of cleanup is being contemplated, but I don't think anything's been 
put on paper and circulated to the public. Well, you said there are trucks in there moving stuff out. That's already a violation. That That is an incredible um, dispersion of this waste, by the way. I saw it firsthand. There are... Um, so there's about 300 or 400 acres impacted where there used to be a lake, and they have these large earth-moving equipment sitting on the sludge all around, and it's moving it from one part to another, um, I think in part to form some gullies for some of the water to move, and I think in part to maybe level it out. Um, And then there are trucks, dozens and dozens and dozens, hundreds of trucks moving back and forth, from this community, and what's interesting is you kind of have to go on this long road around the cove to get to the back where this um, community is, the one that actually has the sludge on its property. And these trucks, these roads aren't built for this kind of truck traffic. And I hear from so many residents who call us that the roads are are literally breaking up. People are going into ditches, just a safety issue, literally nothing to do with the waste at all, a safety issue of what's happening with the truck traffic and the roads. But then the the impact from the waste is these trucks, they have thick tires. The waste from the sludge is getting in the the treads of the tire. And then as the trucks are moving away and driving the 5, 10, 20, 30 miles, that waste is getting dispersed in the air. And so it's on people's lawns from that as well. There are so many different pathways of exposure that we're going to see as this quote-unquote remediation proceeds. Um, They're countless. And certainly I can't envision all of them as I sit here now, but there will be many like this truck incident. Well, at this point, we need to take a short break, and when we return, we'll talk more with Attorney Robin Greenwald and Lisa Evans regarding the Tennessee Valley Authority coal ash disaster. We'll be right back. We invite you to visit Law.com for timely legal news and in-depth resources. From daily headlines to practice-specific updates, Law.com provides up-to-date information to those working in the legal profession. As part of its coverage, Law.com is proud that J. Craig Williams' blog, May It Please the Court, and Robert Ambrogi's blog, Law Sites, are part of its blog network. Don't wait any longer. Visit Law.com today and get free subscriptions of our Newswire newsletter with the top legal stories of the day. Or sign up for a free trial subscription to one of our Practice Center sections. Imagine how much easier managing your practice would be if your practice management software was web-based. Your practice would be available anywhere you have an internet connection, completely secure, backed up continuously, and most importantly, easy to use, allowing you to spend your valuable time building your practice instead of managing technology. Start simplifying your practice today with Clio. Sign up for a free, fully functional 30-day trial at www.goclio.com. Use promotional code L2L for a 25% discount. If you found us in the podcast library of iTunes, thanks for listening. Check out some of our other shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com and become a member. It's free. You've just passed the bar and you're ready for your first day at the firm. If you always wear a blue suit, white shirt, and red tie, nobody will know you haven't been home in three days. You are ready to tackle the important legal questions. I don't worry about the merits of a case. I'm paid solo to find obscure procedural roadblocks. You are ready to find self-worth in your profession. The value of my existence is measured in six-minute increments. And the Perfect Associate has the answers to all your career questions. Available at PerfectPlush.com. PerfectPlush.com, your source for legal humor. That's PerfectPlush.com. 
Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We'd like to welcome back attorney Robin Greenwald from Whites in Luxembourg and attorney Lisa Evans, an attorney specializing in hazardous waste law for Earth Justice, a nonprofit organization. Robin, you've got to leave shortly, so let's, with you, wrap up and get your final thoughts along with your contact information. Um, sure. Well, I guess final thoughts are a little difficult because there are so many um, so many facets to uh, this particular community and the impacts on it from the waste, and also, as we've talked about on this on this show, impacts to communities all around the country um, from these waste piles. I mean, one of the questions that uh, I think everybody needs to ask quickly and repeatedly is, why did this happen? Um, the maintenance of these ponds, one has to wonder if there's any maintenance being done and when there is maintenance that's needed, whether people and whether entities are taking that action. I mean, on this spill in particular, um, there there are records that just a year or two ago, TVA uh, knew there was a problem with this pond and was told that it would cost $25 million to fix it. And they said it was too expensive. And so instead of spending the $25 million to shore it up, which might very well have prevented this disaster, instead they put on a Band-Aid that obviously didn't work. And another interesting report to sort of fill out that story is their most recent report is it's costing them $1 million per day on just cleanup costs, and it's been a whole lot more than 25 days. So it shows that if there's proper maintenance, I mean, first of all, the most fundamental issue is what Lisa talked about, the need to to address these ponds. But until they're, until they're regulated, at least up until that point, and better care is taken, the maintenance of these ponds have to be front and center for all of these facilities all around the country so another one of these situations doesn't occur. I mean, it really is just so devastating to a community. People really love where they live, and they can't live there anymore. And some people, have their families have been in this area for generations, and it is a very sad moment for this community. Um, so my contact information um, by email is rgreenwald at weitzlux.com. And my phone number is 212-558-5802. And uh, those are probably the two best ways to get a hold of me. Great. Thanks for being on the show, Robin. Thank you so much. It was nice talking to both of you. Lisa, let's um, kind of explore this issue about the uh, treatment and and handling of uh, coal ash a little bit further with you. It seems to me that since this is unregulated, that uh, we have no type of idea what the ultimate problem is going to be across the country for as much as we've got in as many uh, situations as we have across the country. Is that true? Well, I think it is true, but I, I, I think there there are some immediate steps that need to be taken. So it's um, it, we don't want to throw up our hands and say that this is hopeless. Um, there are some things that, that have to be done immediately, and it's the type of thing that EPA knows how to do. So uh, I don't think the situation is hopeless, but, but it is imminent. And what needs to be done immediately is an inventory of all the sites where we've got uh, these online landfills and these waste ponds, in particular the waste ponds because they can be subject to the catastrophic breaks. So EPA has to get busy um, at the 600 uh, or so power plants that are currently operating, look for the old sites as well, and identify where all the risks might be. 
Secondly, there is no reason in uh, 2009 that we have to keep generating at these coal-burning power plants the wet ash. Uh, Coal-burning power plants uh, can generate dry ash, which is uh, much easier to handle, easier to dispose of safely. We can get that ash, um, again, by regulation, into a lined, uh, modern, engineered landfill, just as we do our municipal solid waste, and we will reduce the risk from... Uh, the contaminants of coal ash uh, immensely. So you need to have the inventory, you need to phase out this wet ash uh, storage, and then you have to regulate the dry ash. And also, as much as possible, you have to promote safe reuses. Um, there are some safe ways to, uh, to reuse ash that encapsulate the waste and uh, prevent the hazardous chemicals from leaching out of it. One of those ways is to put it in concrete. So if we can do more of that... Um, you know, build our our roads with it uh, in a secure form, in the secure form of concrete, then uh, we'll also be um, taking a step in the right direction. But we certainly can't wait another uh, 28 years, which is, uh, you know, since the passage of uh, RICRA in 1980, and that's how long we've been waiting so far. How do we know whether coal ash is making its way into consumer products? Well, that's a tough one. Um, I had, uh, you know, I heard Robin say toothpaste. That that's a new one for me. Um, I I don't know. Um, I, you know, certainly we wouldn't want it there. This is a problem if you um, ingest the waste. Um, in fact, you asked an important question that I sidestepped in order to um, give the listeners an idea of our uh, or notice of our notice letter to TVA. But but you had asked how can people be harmed. And if I could just address that question really quickly, um, because, you know, one of the issues is ingestion. So, of course, you don't want coal ash going into anything that you might ingest uh, because of the carcinogens and the other uh, harmful chemicals uh, in coal ash. You know, you have things like arsenic and lead. Uh, lead, lead is a neurotoxin. Arsen is a carcinogen. Uh, you have uh, chromium as well. Um, you know, some of these are, are probably familiar to the listeners. Um, but you also have another... Uh, list of 17, uh, which are metals that naturally incur in coal, but when the coal is burned, they're concentrated in the ash. Um, so you don't want to eat the stuff. Therefore, it's dangerous if it's in soil or sediment. You know, so it's key to getting this out of people's soil and yards because if it's in the sediment, you know, it can get in your dust, and then it can be picked up by your children and, and ingested in that way. Of course, you want none of this in your drinking water. Um, and you also don't want any of this in your the water of your rivers and streams. There's one contaminant in particular, selenium, which is very, very toxic for fish. It can kill the fish. If it doesn't kill the fish, it can bioaccumulate, which, you know, in quantities that can be harmful to humans. So it's not only a, a short-term exposure problem, uh, you know, for human health, but it can be a long-term environmental problem if the ash is allowed to stay either in the sediment or on the riverbanks, as, as it seems to be that TVA is, is proposing. And with wet ash, is part of the way that it's treated is to evaporate it? Well, wet ash is actually stored wet, which, which is a, a very dangerous and uh, a, a way that it's cheap for the utilities to slurry the ash out into an impoundment like they did at uh, TVA um, and at many of the TVA facilities, and to just hold it there. And uh, they decant the water, uh, excess water is piped off and often goes into our rivers and streams, uh, often under an inadequate permit or no permit. Um, so this, 
and the water and the outer water does evaporate, and then they continue to um, to add more and more ash. This is 2009. How did this get missed so long? You know, it's it's really unfortunate, but it it looks like it did take a tragedy to to wake people up. I mean, I have been working on this issue uh, since 2000. Um, other environmentalists have been working on it long, much longer than I have. Um, I think part of the problem is maybe what you said in in you know in the beginning of our conversation is that uh, coal ash is not really a scary substance. You know, people barbecue, you know, they might remember it from their youth. So they don't think of it as, you know, your typical hazardous waste. Um, it's just that, uh, you know, they, people have to change their mindset because coal ash itself has changed. The quantities are so large. And maybe most importantly and unfortunately, the evidence is there at site after site. And, and EPA admits that there are 67 sites where this is contaminated um, surface water and groundwater. You know, just the evidence is there that this is not uh, something you want in your backyard. Well, I understand that uh, TVA set up a hotline for its uh, concerned constituents in the area. How's that working out? You know, I, I I don't know. I know that there's been general discontent among the residents that information was not out um, early enough and not enough information is still coming out. And I, I, right after the spill, I looked at some of the documents that TVA issued, and it was your standard utility document which indicated that, you know, this is benign, well, benign waste product. And then when the gypsum pond at their Widow's Creek facility in Alabama broke through, as, as Robin mentioned, about 10,000 gallons spilled into Widow's Creek, again they said, well, this is just, just gypsum. You know, and, and I know that just gypsum has huge amounts of toxic contaminants. You know, and, and I've seen the EPA reports on that. So, you know, TVA has definitely, at least in, you know, their, their early reactions to the spills that I've seen, has definitely been downplaying the risk, and, and that's inexcusable. That, that will cause harm to uh, the affected people and the people in the area because this stuff not only, um, I mentioned ingestion, we talked about breathing it in, it can also be a direct contact uh, Hazard. It can be very caustic and, and cause burns. Um, and the problem with coal ash is you don't know what a particular ash is going to contain. It depends on the uh, particular coal burned. It depends on the process at the power plant. So to in any way say this stuff is benign and you know people don't have to worry and you know everything will be fine. It was was really doing a disservice to the community and, and a dangerous ash. Are, the, are there any studies out there that tell us what the health effects of coal ash are? Uh, yes, in fact, there was a risk assessment done by EPA. I mean, the, one of the saddest things here is that you can point to our government's own documents. You can point to an EPA risk assessment from 2007 that says that uh, unlined surface impoundments, such as the one at TVA, pose a cancer risk uh, from arsenic of more than 900 times the EPA's acceptable uh, risk level. Um, EPA accepts a risk of one in 10,000 people being exposed uh, and getting cancer. And this was 900 times that base risk level. I mean, that that is a huge risk. Um, and this is, you know, EPA's own document again. Um, and that's just one element. That's for arsenic. They also identified thallium and boron, uh, selenium as contaminants of concern. Um, you know, our own scientists... Uh, reviewed that risk assessment and say they greatly underestimated the risk. But even if you take EPA at its word, it's, uh, you know, this is something that is very dangerous. 
Well, we've reached the end of our program, Lisa, and we'd like to wrap up with your final thoughts and your contact information. Okay. Um, my, I can be found at levans at earthjustice.org. And people who want more information on Colash can go to our website, uh, EarthJustice website, which is www.earthjustice.org slash Colash, and you'll find um, um, my testimony before Congress in June, which will give you a lot of background on Colash and uh, the government's value to regulate it and some information about sites across the country. Um, and... Uh, and other information, uh, more recent information about uh, the Tennessee happenings and also about our new report. And um, I would just urge people to, um, uh, I think the, the best thing that could help us is, is actually for, for listeners to contact their representatives and senators, um, uh, you know, as, as well as through the utilities in, in, their, in their own states, but to um, contact our decision makers and really make them feel that this is something that... Uh, poses a threat to uh, human health and environment throughout the United States. Uh, action is long overdue, you know, and would they please get on top of it? Great. Thank you very much, Lisa. And thank you to both of our guests, Robin Greenwald from Whites in Luxembourg and Attorney Lisa Evans, uh, specializes in hazardous waste law for Earth Justice. That does it for this week's Lawyer to Lawyer. Remember, you can check out all of our Lawyer to Lawyer shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com. And we will see you again next week with another interesting show. And Please don't forget to download our shows on iTunes as well. And we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. Lawyer to Lawyer has been sponsored by Law.com. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.